Good morning. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. And in a moment, I'll read verses 13 through 16. If you're just dropping in this morning and wonder why we're at Mark 10, 13 through 16, it's because we're going through the whole gospel of Mark, and this is the next, this is the next passage. So before I, before I read these four verses, I just want to ask you a question. Who is God's kingdom for? In other words, what kind of person actually receives God's kingdom? What type of person actually becomes a citizen of God's kingdom? You might answer, well, anyone, potentially. But it's that potentially that is really important. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate because there's a there's a There's a broad gate and an easy path that leads to destruction, and many find it, but there is a a narrow gate and a difficult path that leads to life, and there are a few who find it. What kind of person is the one who finds it? If you will understand the answer to this question, who is God's kingdom for, and if you will apply that answer to your own heart and also apply it to the way that you relate to other people, then you will be profoundly transformed. And if, if that's already happened to you, then you have been profoundly transformed. And, and this message should encourage you and strengthen you to keep growing and keep being a faithful participant in God's kingdom. If these things have not happened to you, then this message might challenge your assumptions and pierce your heart with the truth. A journey of transformation awaits. So, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. God's Word says, And they were bringing children to Him, that is, to Jesus, that He might touch them, And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's holy word, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we pray that these words would not remain just on the page in front of us, but would, by your Spirit, make us alive, quicken us, strengthen us, correct us, transform us, by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's begin in verse 13, which I summarize this way. The disciples get it wrong again. People were bringing children to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to, to touch these children and speak a word of blessing to them. And by the way, this, this word that is translated children, it, it, it really means little children, young children. And 
there's a little bit of flexibility in terms of the age range envisioned there, but I think it, it especially refers to children seven years of age or less. So think babies, think toddlers, think kindergartners, first and second graders, okay? Young children. These people, parents, grandparents, older siblings, other relatives, were not told. They wanted to bring the children into the Lord's presence so that they might receive the Lord's blessing. There is nothing greater that you could do for another person than to bring them into the Lord's presence so that they could receive the Lord's blessing. But there was a problem. The disciples. The same disciples who had the exclusive club mindset back in chapter 9, verse 38. Do you remember that? They're at it again. Back in chapter 9, they saw this, this man who wasn't part of their own immediate circle. This other man was casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they tried to stop him because he wasn't part of their own little subgroup. And now we're not told exactly what the disciples were thinking here, but I think it's along th this line. One of the common realities in our sinful world is that important people have an entourage of attendants, assistants, agents, bodyguards, and access is very limited. You have to be a very important person to get access to a very important person. And if you aren't important enough, the president's people, the governor's guard, the rich man's entourage will run interference in order to keep you away. No access for you because you're not important enough. And as far as the disciples were concerned, these kids, these babies, toddlers, little kids, were not important enough. And so they ran interference and rebuked them. I'm not sure if their rebuke was directed at the adults bringing the kids or at the kids themselves, but obviously they thought that the Messiah doesn't need, does not need to be bothered by these socially insignificant, politically insignificant, economically insignificant children. In my family, we have enjoyed the Little Blue Truck books by Alice Shirtle. And any, anyone familiar with those? The first book, we read, Honk, yelled a dump truck coming through. I have big important things to do. I haven't got time to pass the, wet, pass the day with every duck along the way. You see? Very common mindset, even with big trucks. The king has very important things to do, like, like saving Israel, like establishing the kingdom of God on earth. He doesn't have time to waste with these little ones. The king has big important things to do that include, well, they, these important things include us, of course, but, but not you. We are important enough to be part of what he's doing, but you are not important enough. Of course, they should have known better but old habits die hard. Old sinful habits die hard. But they should have known better. Thus far, they know that Jesus has communicated His grace to the diseased, to the handicapped, to the demon-possessed, to a leper in chapter 2, 
to the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus in chapter 5, to the little daughter of the Syrophoenician woman in chapter 7, to the demon-possessed uh, son of the desperate dad in chapter 9. And also in chapter 9, verses 36 and 37, Jesus set a child in their midst. And he took that child into his arms. And he said, whoever receives this child receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. So they should have known better. They should have thought, wow, they're bringing these little ones to Jesus and based on what he just told us, maybe yesterday, what a great opportunity we have to, to participate in the king's work and to identify with his mission and vision by welcoming these little kids. But they played the fool one more time. If the disciples had had their way, these children would not have had an audience with the king. Now let's move to verses 14 and 15 where Jesus proclaims the truth about God's kingdom. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus was indignant, angry, upset. Righteous anger is a real thing. And Jesus had it. In fact, love, true love, requires anger. Anger when those, that, when those that you love are under assault. Think about when Jesus went to the temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, and sinners, sinful religious leaders, had turned it into a den of robbers. This place of worship had become a commercial center, and he was upset, and he turned over the tables. And the thing is, is, is that Jesus had, had a zeal for God's house. His father was being dishonored and people were getting hurt. He was angry. The, the adults who were bringing the children to Jesus were obviously acting in faith. They had a measure of faith that, oh, it, it, would, be, it would be wonderful if the King, Messiah, would bless our little ones. And yet his own representatives are misrepresenting him. His own representatives are attempting to prevent the children from coming to Jesus. And listen, the Lord does not like to be misrepresented. Because when he's misrepresented, he is dishonored. If it was up to the, the disciples, these families would have left thinking, the Messiah doesn't have time for us. That would have dishonored Jesus. But also when he's misrepresented, people get hurt, the kids wouldn't have actually gotten the Lord's touch and the Lord's blessing. Jesus had said, come to me. But the disciples' attitude was, but not you, you're too young. But not you, you're not smart enough. But not you, you're not accomplished enough. But not you, you don't have anything to contribute. Jesus gets angry when you prevent people, especially little ones, from coming to him. Then in the rest of verses 14 and 15, Jesus says four things. He tells his disciples what to do, what not to do. He tells them why, and then he tells them to apply the lesson to their own heart. He tells them what to do, let the children come to me. Then he tells them what not to do, do not hinder them from coming to me. Two sides of the same coin. Don't make it difficult 
for the little ones to come into my presence. Don't make it hard for these children to have a relationship with me. Don't establish rigorous entrance requirements that are impossible for little people to meet. Don't create VIP passes that leave out the kids. Instead, let them come. Let them come with a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Open the door for them. Encourage them. Encourage their steps. Invite them in. Appreciate and celebrate the wonderful reality that they are there. Make a straight path for their feet. Why? Jesus tells us why. For to such belongs the children of God. To such children, and as we'll understand, is that these children are also a symbol of those who are like children, childlike people. That's who the kingdom of God is for. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. Think about who God's kingdom is not for. God's kingdom is not for the great and the powerful, the high and the mighty, the smart and sophisticated, the elite and well-connected, the accomplished and celebrated, the gifted and talented, the wealthy and prosperous, the movers and shakers. God's kingdom is not for those who are impressed with their own resume, their own credentials, their own reputation, their own status. Who is God's kingdom for? For children, for those who are like children. The, the point is not that God's kingdom is for children and not for adults. That's really not the heart of the instruction. The heart of the instruction is the kingdom of God is for the lowly, not for the mighty. And we see that theme throughout the scriptures, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is for the sin sick. Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And when he said that, he didn't actually mean that there's a bunch of righteous people out there who don't need him. What he meant was, there's a bunch of people out there who are self-righteous, they're righteous in their own eyes, and they don't think that they need him. He came for the sin sick and for those who know it. God's kingdom is for the bankrupt, the nobodies, the humble, the contrite, the brokenhearted. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In terms of our passage, God chose the weak and childlike to shame the strong and self-assured. And by the way, if you happen to be born a rich nobleman, it's not that the gospel is not for you, it's that you need to abandon all hope in your riches and nobility and come with open and empty hands to the Savior. Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 15 that you must apply this lesson to your own heart. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to receive God's kingdom like a child, like a, like a little child, like a toddler? 
Sometimes we, we reflect on this verse in a wrong-headed way, and people will start talking about things like childlike faith, childlike humility, childlike wonder, childlike transparency, or childlike whatever other good quality you want to fill in the blank. But that's not the right approach. The, the child is an example of someone who enters the kingdom not because of any positive character quality, but because of their lowly, subservient, dependent, and vulnerable status. They don't hold a position of high rank, but a position of low rank. James Edwards puts it this way, it is not their virtue, but their helplessness that is stressed. So, to receive God's kingdom like a child means to receive it like someone who doesn't deserve it. You, you come to Him precisely because you are helpless, weak, vulnerable, and you need a mighty Savior to rescue you. God's kingdom is not for you because you are somebody special or because you have clout or because you command influence or because you have political or economic weight to throw around, or because you are religiously or morally qualified, or because you know how to take care of yourself, and God's kingdom is looking for additional talent to expand its mission. You have no qualifications for God's kingdom. In fact, all you have are disqualifications. But you are loved. And the king beckons you to come home. Therefore, you, you are to receive God's kingdom as a gift to someone who doesn't deserve it, could never earn it, cannot repay it. Jesus didn't say, come to me because you are qualified, but rather come to me because you are a weary, weak sinner, and I will give you life. The hymn, Rock of Ages, captures the truth very well. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Now listen. Those who have received God's kingdom like a child, acknowledging their complete dependence on the Savior. They do not try to prevent other unimpressive and socially insignificant people from coming to Jesus. How can a lowly recipient of superabundant grace attempt to prevent that same grace from flowing to some other lowly soul? Sometimes we say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Well, in terms of this passage, the ground is level at the entrance gate to God's kingdom. All who come must come with empty hands. Finally, in verse 16, Jesus communicates the, the grace of God's kingdom to these children. Verse 13 gave us a great picture of what God's kingdom is not like with children and think of other weak and lowly people flocking to Jesus. And the disciples are like, get away, get away, get away. That's what God's kingdom is not like. Verse 16 gives us a great picture of what God's kingdom is like. Jesus takes these children into his arms. He lays his hands on them. He speaks 
words of blessing over them. Isn't this wonderful? Invite Jesus into your house. Maybe there's a lot of people there. It's like, all right, we're going to have some important adult conversation over here. The, the, kid, the, kid, the kids, the toddlers, the babies, they're over there. You don't have to bother with them. And Jesus heads right over there. The Son of God and Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one by whom and for whom all things were made, the one who rescues his people from sin and death, the one who radiates the splendor of his Father, the one whose glory will be the chief delight of all eternity, the one who will judge every person at the final judgment. He has time for the kids, the toddlers, the nursing infants. He has time to take them into his arm. He has time to lay his hands on them as an act of blessing. He has time to speak gracious words over their little hearts and minds. Do you know him? Do you know this king? Have you become one of the little ones whom he takes into his arms? And are you glad when other little ones come to take refuge in those same strong arms. Who is God's kingdom for? It's for the little ones. Become a little one. And then let that shape the way that you relate to and see other people. So I want to I apply this passage now to four, four groups of people. Okay, we've got the basic understanding of the passage in our mind. So, a few applications. The first application is to everyone. Never be impressed by your own achievements. Always be impressed by the grace of the King. Maybe there is someone here this morning, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself that God... God's favor is upon me because I have done well, because I have achieved, because I have accomplished. And I'm here to warn you that if you remain in that mindset, you will never enter the kingdom of God. On the other hand, there might be someone else here this morning who, who actually exhibits the same mindset but from the opposite end of the spectrum. And you might be thinking... I'll never be good enough. I'll never be godly enough. I'll never get my act together. And so you just don't come. You don't come to Jesus because you think you're supposed to get your act together first. And you will never get your act together. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to come entrusting yourself completely and wholly to the mercy of the King. The second application is to the church, to all of us as a church, thinking about our, our life together, our fellowship, our ministry. Let's never give the impression that Christianity is for spiritual high achievers whose achievements have earned them a seat near Jesus. The gospel is for people who have come to realize that they are spiritual losers. Will we be a stuffy religious club that pressures people to prove their mettle and pass muster? 
Or will we let the super abundant grace of God be at the center and pervade everything? Which creates space for people to come into the Lord's presence and receive His grace. If we do that, if we have big grace at the center, then we will not take ourselves too seriously and we will be a very welcoming place for children and for all who are lowly. Third, third application is to the parents. Don't make it difficult for your children to discover a relationship with Jesus. From their birth, even before their birth, but certainly from their birth, even as babies and toddlers, before they can speak, they're internalizing and absorbing the atmosphere of our life and home. They're observing, they're watching, they're learning. When I tell you don't make it difficult for your children to discover a relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about one special moment or one special thing like, like praying the sinner's prayer or getting baptized or something like that. I'm talking about a whole manner of life. Because the, the, thinking about this passage in front of us, the, the, the thing that you must do by God's grace is to do your best to represent Jesus well. If you do not represent Jesus well, then you will make it difficult for your children to discover a relationship with Him. If you create lots of rules and thus make rules central, create lots of external pressure, encourage the appearance of we've got it all together, and demonstrate that Jesus is not filling you with love, joy, peace, and gentleness, then you will, then you will succeed at keeping your kids from discovering a relationship with Jesus. Alternative, alternatively, if you make Jesus irrelevant to your life, you might pay lip service to the Lord on Sundays, but if, if Jesus and His words and His kingdom and His standards carry no weight with you and with your heart and with your words and with your way of relating to people during the course of the week, then you will make it difficult for your children to discover a relationship with Jesus. One of my favorite authors, Don Carson, I once said that the worst kind of home to grow up in is a home with high spiritual pretensions and low spiritual performance. High spiritual pretensions meaning you talk a big religious game. We're Christian around here. We're moral. We do the right thing but low performance, not a lot of humility, not a lot of love, not a lot of kindness, not a lot of forgiveness. It's toxic, toxic. He went on to say the best kind of home to grow up in is one with low spiritual pretensions where we, we really don't think we're all that great, but high spiritual performance, meaning not performance mentality, but meaning there's some real humility, there's some real kindness, there's some real gentleness, there's some real love. Here. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to adorn the gospel, to make the gospel appear attractive. Not because it isn't attractive and needs us to make it appear so, but it is attractive and we need to reflect that and to adorn it by the way that we live. Finally, 
a word of application to the kids. There's a smattering of kids out there. Listen, the king of the universe welcomes you. The king of the universe welcomes you children to come to him and to sit on his lap and to receive his care. And so in, in that vein, I want to say to you, the Lord bless you children. The grace of the king be upon you. May the Lord establish your hearts in his love. May the Spirit draw you into the arms of Jesus. May the Father adopt you as one of his little ones. And may praise fill your heart and tongue from a very early age. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is so unlike the way that we are in our sinfulness. He is so gracious, so generous, so large of heart, so ready to take any little one into his arms and bring blessing and grace and strength to those who trust him. Father, I pray that by your grace that this, that this passage would get worked out in our lives so that here at South Paris Baptist Church there would be a growing culture of humility, a culture of not taking ourselves too seriously, a culture of grace, a culture of trusting a big God for little people, just letting that pervade our hearts and our words and our relationships. We pray that you would do this great work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.